Well, good morning, church. It's been great to worship the Lord with you so far. I remember about 13 years ago, moving to London and having to learn to drive again. Now, it wasn't so much going on the, the wrong side of the, the road that was the issue. It was the fact that the, uh, the British are okay if you want to show up for a month with a U.S. driver's license, but beyond that, they insist that you take a, uh, a British test, that you get a British driver's license, and they have a lot of persnickety rules. I mean, they love their rules, okay? And I'd driven all over the world, you know, in Afghanistan and Mozambique, but, but no, nothing had quite gotten me ready for all the roundabouts and all the, all the persnickety rules, and so I had this particularly persnickety um, instructor, had this little beetle of a car and he had little bug eyes and his, 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 uh, his, his phone had a, a Yoda sound ring to it, okay? So you can kind of get the picture. Uh, and frankly, I really didn't have much opportunity to engage in conversation with the guy because, um, I mean, you know, he had little, little, you know, comments like boots and bonnets and this and that. And, you know, he was constantly picking at my driving. So to be honest with you, I didn't really enjoy his company that much. But our, our last time together, we were um, back in my neighborhood driving around, and he was trying to give me a few tips for, uh, for passing my test with the real um, uh, instructor. And he said, you know, you can try to engage him in conversation a little bit. Uh, it, it might actually help. Um, and I said, okay, great. Um, and, uh, and, he, and, and, and he said, uh, and you can engage in conversation with me if you like. And I said, okay, uh, what would you like to know? And so he looks at me, and he had his moment, uh, and it took me later to realize what he was thinking. He had picked up on the fact that I had just come from Afghanistan, I was an American, I was a little bit hush-hush, to be honest with you, about what all I did because of uh, security things. Um, and, and so he, he looks at me, and he says very seriously, aliens, are they real? That's what he wanted to know. And he somehow thought I had the answer to that question. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what my answer was. Although I'll, I'll tell you, I was a little convicted that I probably should have um, been sharing enough of the gospel or trying harder with him earlier to where he wouldn't have thought that, you know, that I was a CIA guy, that he would have thought I was a missionary, right? So I was a little convicted. But imagine the questions the disciples asked Jesus. Here you have the source of all knowledge, right? Um, the logos. So imagine that. And, and imagine if you, and we have some smart folks in this room, uh, with some smart engineers. Uh, imagine if you built a time machine. You figured it out. Okay, you got this little capsule, little vehicle, and you're like, all right, I got one shot. It's only going to work once. It's going to get you there and back. Um, where do I want to go? What would I want to learn? And if you were smart, you'd probably set it back about 2,000 years or so, maybe along the destination, you know, the banks of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to go sit with Jesus around a campfire because I have some questions, right? I mean, can you think of anything more interesting than that? And so you pull it off and you, you, you end up, you know, you're smart enough to not land right in the middle of the camp, but to land your little vehicle behind a big rock or something. And you, you know, you, you creep out from the rock and you manage to infiltrate Christ's camp with his disciples. You know, Peter sees you coming, pulls out his knife, you know, and, 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 and Jesus says, stop, it's all right. He's from the future. And 
And Peter looks at you and kind of shrugs and, uh, and, 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 and you say, hi, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Matthew. And, um, and, and Peter's like, okay. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and, and so you, 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 um, you manage to sit down with them and you finally manage to sidle up next to Jesus. What would you ask him? Maybe you'd ask him, hey, maybe kind of whisper in his ear, we, we figured out that you've created billions of galaxies, right? And, and folks today in my day are, are talking about stuff like a, a multiverse. It's big. Is there, is there other life out there? Well, what might he say? Maybe he'd say, uh, yeah, I've, I've talked a lot about spiritual beings in the Old and New Testament. Read the Bible. Or, or maybe, maybe he'd pluck a reed and, and, and bend it and say something that totally blows your mind about the space-time continuum. And then he says, but I can't really tell you more. You haven't figured out interstellar travel yet. Or more likely, he'd kindly tell you that a far more important thought is that the creator of everything, which includes all kinds of things you can't even imagine, has revealed himself to you in his word and that you're probably giving into lust a little too much and it's getting in the way of your knowing him and that's what matters. Well, Peter leans over from the campfire and he whispers, we know. He doesn't answer our good questions either. It's always, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons and stuff like that. Well, imagine what it would have been like to spend three years with Jesus, the, the God-man. So can you believe that he told his disciples who had spent three years with him, right? All kinds of experiences. They'd seen things that blew their minds. They had opportunities for all kinds of dialogue, not all that we read about in the scriptures, right? And he actually told them that it was for their advantage that he was going away. Can you believe that? Can you believe what probably went through their minds when he said that? You know, yeah, right. We don't want you to go away. And they did not want him to go away. But this is exactly what he said when he talked about our helper who's coming. And that's our first point this morning. So let's look back at verse four of the text that Pastor Joshua read for us. Jesus said that it is to your advantage that I go away because I am sending the helper who is our helper. We have this helper. So verse four. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So how can the Holy Spirit's presence, which you don't get to actually see and hear audibly, okay, at least I haven't, maybe you have, I haven't, how can that be better than flesh and blood, the God-man, you know? If I were them, I would have thought, I, I want the God-man, I want Jesus with me, next to me. Um, I, 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 all I have to worry about is just following him physically, right? Doing what he does, what he says. 
Well, how can it be better to have the Holy Spirit? Well, for one, if you think about the mission and the task that God had planned from eternity past, it, it was more effective instead of God the Son inhabiting one space at a time as a human being, which is what God the Son did, the Holy Spirit would multiply his presence in the hearts of believers around the world as they multiplied, right? As they multiplied and filled the earth. Therefore, the scope of Jesus' ministry would expand exponentially across the world to all nations as people came to know him as Lord and Savior. And and that is Jesus' master plan for evangelism and discipleship, which frankly isn't really our plan very much in our specialized Western society, where what do we do? We think, well, let's find a really good speaker, uh, and let's bring a bunch of people in a room to listen to a speaker, right? Uh, and the really great guys have, you know, big platforms, and, and you should watch this YouTube sermon or video or whatever, versus us each faithfully going out in, in our areas of influence and bringing the light, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he called us to. That's what his command was. That's his master plan for evangelism and discipleship. And so Jesus' time was spent, much of it, equipping these 12. Now, he had a wider circle. He equipped more than just 12. And there were times of public ministry. But there were times that Peter was actually like, hey, Jesus, are you saying this for our benefit only or for all of theirs? Trying to kind of redirect Jesus to talk to the crowd that was there. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm spending some time with you guys right now. Because they had a job to do. They had a mission to be, um, to be commissioned for. But Jesus said that it was not only better for the mission, but it was actually better for them personally to have the Holy Spirit and for him to leave and go back to his Father in heaven. So how is that? Well, it's because the promise that was made long ago would now happen right after the resurrection of Jesus, after his ascension at Pentecost. And we read about this promise in Ezekiel chapter 36, as well as in a number of other Old Testament passages. But Ezekiel 36 promises in verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. So in this age of the new covenant in Jesus Christ, we Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it's incredible, uh, and I'm encouraged by the very name he gave the Holy Spirit here. The way he described the Holy Spirit was our helper. Our helper. That means we don't have to do it in our own power. We have a divine helper who is with us, inside us, the third person of the Trinity, no less, the same spirit who hovered over the waters at creation and who gave David the power in the battlefield to slay thousands. That spirit is now living within us. Not just coming now and then, you know, you read about like Samson, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon him, picks up a jawbone, uh, beats up a bunch of, or kills a bunch of Philistines, right? Uh, And then the spirit leaves, no, to actually dwell and live within. That was the promise that had been given long ago and that is now, has been for us accomplished. 
So maybe you're struggling today with a big decision. You have a helper. Ask him for help, for guidance. Don't lean on your own understanding. Maybe, maybe you are grieving right now. And it's not wrong to grieve. In fact, Jesus grieved Lazarus' death. He wept. It's not wrong. In fact, it's right to grieve. But we don't grieve without hope. And you have a comforter, the very spirit of your maker and savior living inside of you. So cry out to him in your grief. Open your heart to him that he may give you the peace that transcends understanding, even in your grief. Well, maybe you need strength for a task that you know is bigger than you. Well, let me remind you that the Holy Spirit is the source of divine power. So Jesus was slowly unfolding his mission to his disciples, and this was an impossible mission, we might say. This was an, a mission that was going to be impossible for them to accomplish in their own strength. And so let's talk about that mission as we look at our second point this morning, and that would be his work in the world, the Holy Spirit's work in the world. Last week, Pastor Bill led us through the end of, of John chapter 15 in which Jesus talked about the world's response to our message, and that was hatred. But right in the middle of that warning about persecution was instructions about their coming mission. So let's look back to John chapter 15. Just kind of look up or left in your Bible to John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So what we see here is a joint mission. We, we need the Holy Spirit's help to accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us to accomplish. We provide the obedience. The Holy Spirit provides the power. So it's a joint mission, not something that they were to do on their own strength. Pastor Matt Carter writes, the mission he gives them as his witnesses is far bigger than their hopes and dreams. The mission is worth giving up conveniences and comforts like safety, security, stability to invest in something eternally profitable. The Spirit doesn't live in us so that we can rest comfortably in our easy chairs doing nothing for the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit comes to us, disciples of Jesus, to empower us for a mission that cannot be accomplished apart from his supernatural help. Well, case in point would be Peter in Acts chapter 2. Who, who gave him that power to, to stand up? This was, this was Peter who you know, was constantly having to pull his foot out of his mouth, right? Who, who gave him the, the power to preach that sermon in Acts chapter 2 that, that God used to launch the, the early church to, for it to explode like it did? Well, that, that was the Holy Spirit, they gave Peter the words, to, to, the, the wisdom to understand these, how, how Jesus Christ fulfilled these prophecies of Joel. And it, to look people straight in the eye and to, to, to say, you took him in your lawless hands and crucified him, but, but God himself has raised him and made him Lord. 
That was the Holy Spirit's power. So as we look at verses 8 through 11 and as we think about the Spirit's work in the world, we need to remember that He does this work through our witness. It's, it's a joint mission. And so we read in verse 8, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit will use the witness of Christ's disciples, and today that is you and me, if we are trusting in him. He's going to use our witness to bring into the world conviction and correct perception of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let's kind of unpack each of these together a little bit. First of all, there's the conviction of sin. Now the truth is, we have an unpopular message, right? I mean, there's the good news of the gospel, and it is indeed good news, but for it to be good news, you have to understand that there is the bad news of the gospel, right? The good news is predicated on the bad news, and truthfully, humanity does not like the bad news. In fact, our society today is offended by the bad news of the gospel, and that is all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, there's a standard a lot higher than ours and the ones that we set for ourselves, right? What, what our society has done and is really working hard to do is saying, uh, we don't like conviction. We don't like anybody saying that we are falling short, and so let's just remove the standard and create our own, our own subjective standard. And of course, the problem there is um, uh, who, who decides what the standard is? I mean, most folks don't like certain things. Abuse. We want to say abuse is wrong. Well, why? If, if people get to set their own standards. Uh, uh, how, you know, is it just the, the lowest common denominator? Uh, who, who gets to say that the strong can't abuse the weak? If there's not a lawgiver. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has fallen short of his glory. So how in the world will people who want to believe that they are good come to believe our unpopular message that they are depraved sinners before a holy God? Well, the, the answer is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. So you can actually bring an unpopular message with confidence. Not that everybody who hears it is going to agree and repent, but that the Holy Spirit is going to use that truth to call people to an understanding of their sin. And he's going to call people to himself. One writer says the Holy Spirit brings the guilt of sin home to the human consciousness so men and women will seek relief through the mercy of God. But for people to understand the, the, the mercy and the grace of God, they have to understand his holiness and are falling short of it. And we see that power at work in this story of Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it wasn't Peter's eloquence. Someone said that if, if Peter had preached that same message the day before, nobody would have believed necessarily. Does that make sense? It's the Holy Spirit's power at that time, at that moment, the Holy Spirit was poured out 
and people were grieved and were convicted and were saved. This was Holy Spirit conviction. And I pray for this. I pray for this every week, that the Holy Spirit would help me and that he would use the power of his word to transform hearts and to bring conviction where it's needed. Acts chapter two, verse 36, gives us kind of the the final conclusion of the sermon of, of Peter. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, they could have gotten mad. Uh, there were a lot of them, a lot more of them than, than there were of Peter, right? But instead we read, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Well, look back in time, if you will, with me, to your own salvation story. At some point when you were saved, maybe you were young, Maybe it was recently, but when you were saved, the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin, and you came to understand that that God was holy and that you fell short, and it cut you to the heart. if, If you are saved, there was a point in time in which you were cut before the heart to the heart, and you realized that you were lost, and that you needed saving, you needed rescue. And, and, and you needed help. You see, we're not saved by simple mental assent. Yeah, I believe that. Okay. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Eh, great. You know, I'm going to add that to my, I'm going to add that to my pantheon of ideas that, that are important. George Washington was the first president of the United States. Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Two plus two equals four. Got it. That's not salvation, brothers and sisters. So if you're young, maybe you grew up hearing a message uh, and you're like, yeah, I got it. I, I got a lot of theology here in the noggin that I can explain to you. But it's got to cut through the, to the heart and only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's his work, that God is righteous and, and holy and I have violated him. Against you, you only, I sin. As David prayed in Psalm 51. Now David didn't just sin against God, let me tell you. He sinned against a lady named Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband, Uriah. He sinned against the nation that he had been called to to be an example for. But God was so big to him, and he was so in that moment aware of God's holiness that none of that other stuff yet or at that moment was, was competing with his offense against a holy God. And the Holy Spirit has to bring that kind of conviction in our lives and in our hearts so that we can cry out to him in faith. You see, we're saved through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we see here in verse nine that the Spirit especially convicts sinners that he is drawing to faith of the sin of rejecting Jesus. You see, that is a sin. That is a monumental sin, rejecting Jesus and his work for you, failing to believe that he is who he said he was, the son of God, the, the, the Lord, the hero. Well, we see conviction of sin. We also see conviction of righteousness. We see the Holy Spirit's work in convicting the world of righteousness. Now, the truth is, we like the idea of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, doing good through sheer willpower. 
We want to believe that mankind is basically good. And no, the Bible teaches we are not basically good. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and get this, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Some translations say dirty rags. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And so we need to remember that when we look at this world, and if you're an optimist, and I I think I'm still, uh, maybe not as much as I used to be, but I'm still an optimist, okay? Uh, I like to see the good out there and, and the hope, you know, and the silver linings. But when we look at the world, we say, well, wait a minute, it's not as bad as it possibly could be, and it's not. There's a lot of beauty in this world, right? Um, it's not as bad as it possibly could be. Well, why not? The, the, the reason it's not is because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit restraining wickedness in the hearts of mankind. The reason that it's not Lord of the Flies out there every time you walk outside, okay, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit restraining human wickedness. And so there is a general work of the Holy Spirit in the world. But specifically, the Holy Spirit works in hearts of people that he's drawing to himself, okay, by convicting them of the need for Christ's righteousness. You see, the world has a relative standard of righteousness. And so we kind of walk around thinking, well, compared to her, compared to him, I'm doing pretty good. And so it's a sliding scale, right? And so I don't feel that bad because I can always find someone that I'm, you know, doing better than, right? So I don't have to feel that guilty about falling short of God's glory. But, but Jesus here brought conviction of righteousness into the world. When he showed up on the scene, he, he talked about things like lust. He said, hey, if you've looked at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery of the heart. If you got angry with your brother, you are guilty of murder from the heart. So he brought conviction of godly righteousness, God's righteous standard, first through his example, because he actually did it right, and then through his words. Read the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and 6, and it's impossible not to get convicted of his righteous standard and our lack thereof, even our best efforts. And Jesus actually said in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus was the standard bearer of righteousness, the standard, and we need a standard bearer of righteousness. But now he's going away to the Father. So what is, who's gonna be that standard? It's not gonna be Peter, right? Even empowered as he was, he's still a sinner. It's gonna be the Holy Spirit is gonna be that standard. He's gonna bring that conviction. So now that Jesus is going to the Father, the Holy Spirit will be the one who will convict us that our relative righteousness will not cut it. The Holy Spirit convicts each person he draws from the world into faith in Christ that he or she must, as Philippians 3, 9 says, must be found in him, that is Jesus. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, unworthiness is the driving awareness of the man or woman who is in the presence of grace. 
Only the Holy Spirit can bring this awareness. Are you convinced of sin? Are you convinced of Christ's righteousness? If so, you are either saved or will be soon, end quote. Well, the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and conviction of righteousness, but he also brings conviction of judgment. Jesus said in verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who do you think is behind the vain philosophies? of this world, the, the, the false worldviews, these structures that seek to lead women and men's hearts away from the true living God. Who's behind Islam? Who do you think is the architect of Hinduism? Who do you think is behind our religion and our culture, sadly, of materialism and hedonism? That would be the, the love of pleasure, making pleasure God. Who's behind all of that? What's well, the deceiver? Satan. It's the serpent who, who deceived Eve and, and brought Adam down. He is behind these false religions. Satan is the head of the world's system. And he was defeated on the cross, and he will be judged on the last day. And so will we. The Holy Spirit is the one who must convict you that you must flee the wrath to come. Now you may hear this call to the mission, to, to bring this message of the gospel to your neighbors in a society that's being influenced more and more by the rule of this world, and you might think, I can't do it. I just can't do that. I don't know that I have the courage or the right words to say to change someone's heart. And the truth is, you can't. You cannot bring lost sinners into conviction of their sin. You can't bring them into conviction of Christ's righteousness or the final judgment. But the Holy Spirit can, and he does it through our witness. Now, let me just take a, a, segment, a segue for a moment. Um, I, and I've heard stories, numerous stories from people I believe, okay, um, who are converts coming out of within the Islamic world, converts to Christianity who had dreams. They're like, okay, awesome. Holy Spirit does it through dreams. Uh, oh, I get a, you know, I, I can now take a break, right? I get a pass. Well, guess what? In none of those stories was there not someone involved faithfully proclaiming the gospel, okay? I'm telling, that's the truth from my experience, okay? Um, in every single case, somebody had taken the jump and had oftentimes risked, taken a risk to share Jesus with them, you know, to give them a Bible. They're reading the Bible and then they have a dream, that the Holy Spirit gives them, of, of Jesus, that, that corroborates. Sometimes that's what pushes them to, to finally take that step themselves, the power of the Holy Spirit, on a joint mission with faithful Christians bringing the gospel. And so it's true that we can't, by our own power, effect change in a heart, right? Our words can't do it. John Calvin wrote, how can someone's voice penetrate minds? Take root there and eventually produce fruit, making hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, and renewing the people themselves, unless the Spirit of Christ makes the Word alive. And that's what we have here, brothers and sisters, the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment as we faithfully 
bring and declare and share that truth. So we've talked about our helper. We've talked about his work in the world. Let's spend a little bit of time here at the end talking about his work in our hearts, the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. Jesus said in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, there were still more instructions, right? More clarity of what was to come. I, I don't think Peter was yet ready to hear that he was going to be crucified before the cross, right? I mean, I don't think he could take it at that point. But post-resurrection, Peter saw Jesus, his Savior, crucified. He saw his own failure there at the cross, right? He saw, he saw his, he, he was just remorseful for his denial, and as the Lord um, uh, 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 brought him close and expressed forgiveness and repurposed him, he revealed to him then, after post-resurrection, right, that he too would get the chance to die as Jesus had. And Peter was then ready to hear this. But what he said, Jesus said, continued, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, you might hear that and think, now wait a minute, um, God's word has certainly given us a lot of truth, but this isn't a science textbook, meaning he hasn't told us um, uh, what may exist uh, billions of light years away in other galaxies, right? There are things that we progressively learn about his creation through the scientific method, through observation, through discovery, right? So he hasn't told us everything we might want to know, but he's told us everything we need to know about the very most important subject of all, and that is God in our relationship with Christ. There's nothing more important than that. And so let me continue here. He says, whatever he hears, that is the spirit, he will speak and he will declare it to you the things that are to come. That would be the future, right? I mean, I think of, of John penning the apocalypse, the, the book of Revelation, um, future events. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled John to see, maybe at times through a glass darkly, at times very vividly, the future and our blessed hope that Jesus wins and to write them all down, right, in color. The Holy Spirit was the one who would guide him to do that. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, now I think the primary fulfillment of this promise Jesus made was actually to these men who were about to inscripturate the things that Jesus did and said. Can you imagine that task? Actually, after Christ had ascended, and in some cases, years later, assembling from your memory all of these events that happened, particularly things like Things like the high priestly prayer of John 17, which we're going to get into in a couple of weeks. I mean, how in the world did John remember in such clarity all of these words of Christ that were intimate to his father to write down? How, how can you do that? How can you decide three years of, of miracles, right? And confrontations with leadership and, and of teaching and remember and decide what do we write down? And to be able to do it accurately in a way from different vantage points that fully harmoniously agrees with one another. How in the world could they have done this? Well, Jesus is telling them through the promise 
of the Holy Spirit who would guide them in all truth, remembering and knowing what to write down so that we might believe and so that we might follow. The Holy Spirit guided them, guided their pens, guided their minds. And it wasn't autopilot. It wasn't, when when the men were inspired to write scripture, it wasn't that they kind of, you know, checked out and were taken over and just wrote. They, They wrote with their own personalities. And yet they were overshadowed by the Holy Spirit such that they would write without error the truths that God wanted to communicate to his people for history, for for the future, for future generations. So the question we might ask is, does the Holy Spirit guide us today? How does the Holy Spirit guide us today? The answer is yes, he does. But he does it through his word and predominantly through his word. So as I said before, if you want to be guided, if you want God's guidance, you want the, the Holy Spirit's help, right? If you, if you want power and conviction and, and knowledge and, and help from the Holy Spirit, do this, not this. Open your Bible. Meditate on it. Open your heart up. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in the big decisions that you have of your life by reading the scriptures and watching the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart. Read your Bible with expectation. Is it possible to be religious without the Holy Spirit? I would say it is. Is it possible to show up in a service, to walk through a liturgy? Could you preach a sermon without the Holy Spirit's help or power? Yeah, but I wouldn't expect much, right? Now maybe maybe the best part, maybe you're reading the Bible he, he, he can still use that. I've, I've heard of him using people pre-salvation to save in, in our own country's history. You had circuit-riding preachers who brought the gospel to Native Americans who were saved, and then the, that, that preacher later realized he, wasn't, he didn't even know the Lord yet. Okay? That happened. But can you, can you please the Lord in your own strength without the Holy Spirit? Can you hope to affect change in anyone's heart without the power of the Holy Spirit? Can you walk by faith and not by sight? Do things that there's no way you would ever be able to do in your own strength without the power of the Holy Spirit? No. Now I'm sure if I asked you this morning, if I asked everybody here, hey, raise your hand if you love Jesus. I'm sure you'd be like, yes, I love Jesus. But do you love the Holy Spirit? Are you being helped and guided by him today. Let's pray. And as we pray, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. I'd like to invite our deacons who will be serving us to to come forward. I'd like to just read as I go into my prayer the words that God gave through his Holy Spirit to Paul. And he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup that you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, as we move into a time of prayer and meditation, pray that your spirit would work in our hearts. Pray if there's someone in this room who doesn't know you, maybe they think they do, but they haven't truly yielded their heart. They haven't truly repented a godly repentance of sin. They haven't truly put biblical faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your spirit would prevent them from taking communion and drinking further condemnation on themselves. I pray rather, Lord, that they would right now just repent and believe and be saved. Father, if there's a brother or sister that knows you but has been quenching your spirit through unconfessed sin, I pray that they might right now be reminded. I pray that your spirit would work in their heart and would call to their remembrance what they need to confess to you so they may confess their sin and and be cleansed. Lord, so that they may enjoy true communion with you. Lord, I pray that you would give all of us, uh, that your Holy Spirit would give all of us a sense of gratitude, a sense of passion even for the, the suffering of Christ on the cross, for his blood, for his body broken for us, that we would remember that he who knew no sin actually became sin for us so that we might be saved from your wrath and so that we might actually become the very righteousness of God. And we thank you for that gift of Christ's righteousness. And I pray in his name, amen.